Peace be with you. Well, this morning we're going to jump right into our text uh, with uh, John's Gospel. And uh, it's John 21. So we're going to get right in here. And uh, this is exciting, friends. We have been going on a journey through the Gospel of John right from chapter 1, verse 1. I'm not sure how long it's been, but I'm very proud of you and us for for going through line by line, verse by verse. And we are now at the end. And chapter 21 is like the farewell to us. And so you can imagine someone who has gone through so many firsts with a child in their life. Maybe it's a first, you know, a first smile, a first step, a first day of school, a first day behind the car, whatever it happens to be. And imagine that they are now headed out and the parents are receiving their own first. And that first is they're going to be first-time empty nesters. And so they're getting ready to say goodbye to, to, and they want, to their child and, and they want to give a farewell message to them and they want to make sure it counts And it will include in that message something of the wisdom that they have raised that child with over the years. And so chapter 21 is like a farewell message to us. Jesus is not going to be physically with the disciples for very much longer. And so just as he is sharing things with them that they need to know as they go out into the world to share his message and mission, so too uh, does chapter 21 give that to us. So we're going to jump right into it. I'm reading from the ESV. And uh, beginning at uh, verse 1, after this, uh, and so after this, that's after the experience with Thomas, uh, doubting Thomas, really believing Thomas, right? See, you can see the nail marks, see the, see the wound in my side. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee who we learn elsewhere, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So, Paul, maybe it seems strange that they were doing so at, at night, but uh, this was not all that uncommon. And um, they would hold you know, torches sometimes to go, but really... Practically, the idea is that you know this was a, a time and an age before people had all these massive freezers. So you catch a, you know fish at night, and then you can sell it fresh at the market in the morning. And so that's part of the uh, the thing there. But they caught nothing. So surely, that would have been incredibly frustrating to them. These are experienced fishermen, and they spent all night and they get nothing. Like that must have been really hard on them or frustrating anyway. Verse four: Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, how ridiculous must that have felt to them? Here's these, you know, professional fishermen, or some of the time anyway, and, you know, they've been all night. Yeah, 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 the fish are just on the other side of the boat, Jesus. Yeah, that's the problem, right? So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Well, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, and this is a way of speaking about one of the disciples that's consistent through the gospel. It's a reference to John because of their uh, special close friendship. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Again, this is kind of a strange, bizarre thing uh, that we come across. Um, <clears throat> what's going on? He's, he's, what's probably going on is he's, he's got his, his like, inner tunic on, which is like the ancient version of long underwear. 
And he's probably just got that on because he's been hot from fishing all night. He's been sweating, and he knows it's the Lord, and so he puts on his outer garment. But why would you do that when you go to jump into the water? Well, we really just don't know. Um, What is probably the case is he might want to go and swim to see Jesus, and he doesn't want to be dressed inappropriately, and just approaching a rabbi with a you know, with your inner garments would not have been appropriate in Jewish culture. We simply don't know. The text doesn't tell us. This might be one of those cases where John the Apostle, who is also the, uh, he's an eyewitness, he just, it's very memorable as a moment, and so he wants to record it and preserve it uh, for us. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, there are a couple different theories about why it was 153, and I'm not going to get into all of them here, but what I think is the most rational explanation is a very practical one. These are fishermen, and if they're going to go sell this fish at market, they're going to count them. And so he has counted the fish, and he's remembered it. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Now, when you address someone with their full name, uh, usually something serious is about to occur, right? Okay, Um, uh, Michelle Boston, um, I'm going to have a discussion with you, or um, Kathy Clark, or John Lamar. You know, it's a way to get someone's attention. This is about to be a serious conversation. And he does this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So this is Jesus speaking, love me more than these what? And again, the text is a bit ambiguous. We don't totally know. More than these fish, more than your fishing elements and instruments and poles, which were evidence of your former profession. Do you love me more than these other disciples? We simply do not know, but it is a question about the extent of his love. He, Peter, said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Now, we need to know that he doesn't have actual lambs here. He's speaking metaphorically about taking care of his people, taking care of the church. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, what's going on here? Peter is exasperated. Jesus has asked him three times if he loves him. Peter has responded three times that, that he does, but Peter is kind of bothered by this. Now, why is that? What's going on? So... A variety of theories have been been explained. I wonder if it's not something like this, and I know this is a bit of a strange illustration uh, to throw in at this time, but I think think it helps us grasp something about the story. So Iron Man, you know, Iron Man, you know, the superhero. Iron Man, you know, Tony Stark Stark is Iron Man, and Tony Stark has this uh, business, uh, he builds a bunch of things, a successful business, including bombs. 
okay? Including bombs. And later, as Tony Stark is Iron Man, and he's fighting some mean villain, and he notices in the midst of this battle, uh, all of a sudden he can see a bomb coming at him, and the bomb has his own company's name on it. And so the villains have somehow procured bombs that Tony Stark's company has made, and now it threatens his own life. And so the idea is that sometimes there are things in our own past that we are responsible for which blow up in our own faces. And I wonder if that's not something of the mentality that Peter is experiencing here, right? Because what has happened previously? He denied Jesus three times back before the crucifixion. And so Jesus keeps asking him, do you love me? And maybe Peter is thinking, he doesn't trust what I'm saying anymore. And, and maybe because of that great blunder, because of my act of disloyalty, that's blowing up in my face. It's blowing up our friendship. It's blowing up my discipleship. It's blowing up everything. And Jesus doesn't believe what I'm saying. Maybe that is a part of the reason for Peter's exasperation. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, what's going on there? Now, this is a prophetic word because early church tradition uh, recounts the story that, that Peter would go on to continue to be faithful as a leader in the church, and he would experience crucifixion. So many of the apostles were actually martyred for their faith, including Peter. And so when Jesus says, talks about, you know, in, in the future your hands will be stretched out, that is uh, a way of speaking about crucifixion. And Peter was crucified. And as the story goes... When he was about to be crucified, he requested that they crucified him upside down, so head down, feet up, because he did not feel worthy enough to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. So the story goes, okay? So it's a bit of a prophetic word. And so, and so what I think also the placement of that has to do with, if Peter is feeling exasperated, maybe Jesus doesn't trust the fact that he loves him anymore, is this not a way of saying to him, hey, you're going to be tending my sheep, you're going to have a leadership role in the church, and guess what? You are going to go through this uncomfortable situation, you're going to go through serious self-sacrifice, but that will actually be an indication of your love for me. So I think Jesus is kind of throwing him a bone here. Okay, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned, leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Right, so this is John. When Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? In other words, okay, John's here now. Is he going to suffer like you have just told me that I'm going to suffer? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So in other words, mind your own business. Um, he'll have a job to do that I will give him. And you have a job to do that I have given you. Focus on your own task. Verse 23, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Bit of an explanation there. Verse 24, this is the disciple. So the person writing this, this is the disciple John, who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. 
And then very last verse in the book. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Or literally, could not contain the scroll that would be written. And so we end our close look at the text there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Okay, so what is the message to us? Sending out into the world, having learned all these different things, what does it communicate to us specifically? I think what it's communicating to us is that we need to go out and continue Jesus' work in the world, his message and mission, even though we are flawed and broken people. We need to go out, you know, we're giving the send-off message. We need to go out, continue the message and mission of Jesus, even though we are flawed and broken. And I think this for three specific reasons. And the first is a literary reason. So up on the screen, you see the number 496. Now, I love this, okay? So those people who love studying the Bible, if you're Bible nerds like me, you're going to love this, okay? So this is very significant. It's an often missed fact. So 496 mathematicians say is a perfect number. For a variety of reasons, it is a perfect number. And people in the ancient world paid a lot of attention to the significance of numbers and their meaning. Okay? Now, I've got three different categories up there. First, the intro to the gospel, John 1, verses 1 to 18, is all about Jesus, of course, and it sounds like a poem. Jesus coming into the world with a, with a message and a mission, right? And it sounds like a poem, so that's why we know it's like an introduction. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's, it's beautiful. Now, right in the middle of that, in verses 4 and 18, in this category number 2, Jesus is described as the Greek word monogenes, only son. So, therefore, this message and mission is about the only son, the monogamous, and he, and he was the one who this whole gospel is about. And then the outro that we read today in John 21 is also about the message and mission of the monogamous, Jesus, that is passed on to his followers to continue as they go out in the world when he is no longer there anymore. Okay, now how does this relate to 496? Well, let me highlight a few things. The intro, John 1, 1 to 18, has 496 syllables. Number two, the monogamous word, that has the numerical value of 496. And then the outro, John 21, has 496 words. So this isn't my insight, by the way. This is a, a world-renowned biblical scholar, uh, Professor Richard Balcom, And he argues that this is a way that the gospel is constructed in a very intentional literary way to bring together all these things. And so in the intro, it's like, okay, this is about the message and mission of God coming into the world through Christ who is what? The only son, numerical value, 496. The outro, as we go out into the world to continue this message and mission of the monogamous, the one and only son, it is Christ. So that's kind of a unifying factor that lends us to think, okay, this is what we're supposed to take from it. Okay? Here's the second thing I want to highlight. This story establishes the authority of Peter as a leader, even though he is flawed. So you've got to think about it. So when Jesus is physically not going to be with them anymore, the church is going to wonder, who are our leaders going to be? Who are the authoritative leaders? And so this chapter establishes John and Peter, very specifically, right in the center of that leadership group. And he needs to be reinstated because something bad had happened previously. So in today's story, Peter says that he loves Jesus three times, I love you, I love you, I love you, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my flock. So he gives them this leadership thing. What other thing happened to Peter in a series of three? Someone said it. The denials. 
So this is very specifically constructed. He denies Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Very public. Everyone knows about this. Peter's fallen from grace in a certain way, and so he needs to be restored three times. So every time he has this profession of love, it counters one of those denials. Denial, restoration. Denial, restoration. Denial, restoration. Feed my sheep. And so this story establishes the credibility and authority of Peter as he goes out to be a leader, to tend the flock, to tend the people in light of all that we have seen. Now, I think there's also a word for us here, too. We, too, as people are to be sent out to continue the message and mission of Jesus, even though we are deeply flawed, even though we have made very significant mistakes in the world. And the principle for us is that failure doesn't disqualify you, it educates you. This is central to what is going on in chapter 21. Failure doesn't disqualify you, it educates you. This is one of the things we learn from the conversation with Peter that we are to take as disciples as we go out into the world. And so I want to remind us of three things as we seek to implement this in our lives, okay? And the first is that you need to know that everyone makes mistakes, okay? Everyone makes mistakes. It's a part of who we are. Some people focus on those mistakes too much. Some, maybe not enough. But this is just a part of our reality, and we can't think that because we make mistakes that that totally disqualifies us from being used by God. Babe Ruth, the great home run hitter, right? He's known as the home run king, You know, many decades ago, the home run king, Babe Ruth, so great. People could have remembered him as the strikeout king. He struck out so many times. He had like over 700 home runs. He had over 1,300 strikeouts. The guy struck out so often when he went to the plate because he was just going for it. And people don't remember that about Babe Ruth, right? But what happens with us in our lives is that we can have a tendency to to either sort of minimize our mistakes, and we shouldn't, we need to be humble about them and own own up to them, or that can be all we see, right? And we can fail to see the good things that God is also doing in our lives. Hey, mistakes are a part of life. Uh, What are we going to do with them? And so the second point is learn from your mistakes. See, what happens is we wallow in these mistakes, and we think, God can never use me. I'm this broken idiot of a person. Um, And therefore, it's like these mistakes have been wasted on our lives. Case in point, so Thomas Watson Sr. was the founder of a huge company, IBM. And uh, there was this young junior executive, and he made a huge blunder and a mistake, and he uh, lost $10 million in a risky venture. That's a lot of money. And so Thomas Watson Sr. invites this young junior executive back into his office, and the young guy comes in there and says, well, I guess you want my resignation. And uh, Thomas Watson Sr. says... Are you kidding me? I just spent $10 million educating you. (laughs) Like, wow, that's a great perspective, right? And so we can learn from our mistakes and consider them investments in our education and in our discipleship. And so what if you thought about your own mistakes in a similar way? And I encourage you to actually take, take some time and write down a list of your mistakes, I know that doesn't sound like a, oh, happy, you know, thing to do. <laughs> take a, take a, write a, instead of wallowing about them, write, maybe some big mistakes, maybe some small mistakes, write them down. That's a, we're going we're we're to see, okay, how can we learn from these, okay? Then third, use what you learn to serve God. So think about Peter. We're really focusing on Peter right today. What did he learn? Did he learn the importance of being loyal to God above anything else. Did he learn those lessons? Jesus has just given him the second chance. He's going to be this authoritative leader in the church. 
Did he learn? He was redeemed. Did, did he learn from this situation? Well, what do we know about Peter? Well, we do know several things that happened to Peter after the story. And, and one of them is, is his writing. So first and second Peter in the New Testament are from Peter. And in one of those letters, he is writing to persecuted Christians who are going through hardship to, to encourage them to remain loyal. And so he has learned that lesson of loyalty, and he's encouraging others. So that's one of the ways that he has learned from his own mistakes to serve God. And the other one is what I already alluded to, is his own death. And so he is like, you really find out what you believe when you're threatened with death, okay? People don't die for a lie. People are martyred because they so believe in their heart and soul in the veracity and the truthfulness of what they're standing up for. And so Peter, what did he do? Did he deny Jesus? No, he even went to his own literal cross to show his allegiance to Jesus. And so he learned from his mistakes and he'd use them to serve God. And so the question is, now that you've made this list of some of your mistakes, you're going to think, okay, how can I use what I've learned through those mistakes to serve God? So perhaps in the past you've avoided a difficult but honest conversation with someone about something, and it came back to bite you. And so what you're going to learn from that is, like, wait a second, I'm going to go into that, or I'm going to behave going forward in a way that is just, is just gracious but honest, and it's going to way that I, I believe brings glory to God. Maybe you did something where you, you, you didn't uh, be very good in a relationship, and, and you, it could have been a friendship, and you, you let someone down, whatever it happened to be, and you realize that was a mistake on your part. And so what you're going to do going forward is, you're going to, I'm going to be the type of friend who is there for someone, and I'm going to do so in a way that reflects the love that God has shared with me. These are just a couple examples. What we can learn from our mistakes and what we can learn going forward to serve God. Failure doesn't disqualify you. It educates you. Please say it with me. Failure doesn't disqualify you. It educates you. So, just as Peter was sent off into the world, so does John's gospel send us out to continue the message and mission of Jesus. And so we end our series in John's gospel with his own words about the goal of his book from chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen.